Hello and welcome to the Real Europe podcast. This week I will be joined by Senior Director Shweta Rao, who will be providing a snapshot on Verishaw's new bond, and analyst Carolina Hinonin, who will discuss European retail real estate assets. I will also be outlining the recent judgment handed down in the English court on Caluccio's relating to the UK's COVID-19 job retention scheme. So let's start with Verishaw. Shweta, the Swedish home alarm company priced a 200 million euro senior secured floating rate bond today. This bond is the first issue in the European high yield market in several weeks. What changes have you seen in respect to the covenants? Yes, Sean. The European high yield primary markets saw a small green shoot this morning with Berishore launching and pricing a 200 million FRN increased from 150 million to repay its revolving credit facility. With respect to COVID-19 disclosure in the EOM, Verishore highlighted that the material impact of coronavirus could be found in its subscription-based portfolio services segment. There, it could see an increase in attrition rates, which mainly relate to financial distress for both residential customers and small businesses, rather than relocations or dissatisfaction with the business. As we flagged in our snapshot this morning, the negative covenants in these new five-year FRNs are substantially similar to the negative covenants in Berishore's existing 2023 senior secured notes. Thanks, Retta. Carolina, we have previously discussed British retail landlord Into, which has been struggling under its deck for a while. But now, as the coronavirus pandemic has put most European countries in lockdown, we turn into the broader retail real estate space and the situation facing the owners of these assets. Carolina, what does the coronavirus pandemic mean for retail landlords? So obviously the lockdown aspect of this crisis has hit physical stores quite hard, putting the tenants under pressure as non-essential shops have been forced to shut down in most European countries, halting income entirely. This means that the landlords in turn are faced with pressure to be flexible in rent collections and the ability to provide such flexibility depends on the financial financial buffers of the landlord. So essentially the situation for landlords is that either solutions to support tenants through the crisis are found, which means near-term financial consequences for the landlord, or be faced with the risk that tenant collapses result in vacancies that are likely more difficult to fill after the crisis if and when the economic sentiment remains weak, potentially long beyond the immediate social crisis we have at hand. So this would of course mean subdued rental income for an extended period, which then also leads to evaluation impact. In terms of valuations, the impact on these assets and most importantly the equity buffers under rising LTVs depends on the the long-term consequences of the pandemic. If the lockdown is short-lived in nature and trading returns normal swiftly, the valuation impact can remain quite limited. But if this results in more permanent shifts in behavioural patterns, such as moving to online shopping at an accelerated pace, the valuations can take a more sustained dip. The key question for valuations is the vacancy rates after the crisis and the speed at which failing tenants can be replaced if economic sentiment remains weak for extended periods. So what is the financial state of these landlords to provide such flexibility? So the physical retail space was already suffering from a soft sentiment before this crisis and therefore rental income and valuations had been showing some signs of weakening for some. In general, interest coverage and loan-to-value still have solid headroom for most of the landlords, but especially interest coverage can melt quite quickly if rental income dips for an extended period. 
Overall, the companies have utilized their investment-grade ratings and the good availability of funding to issue quite large piles of debt at favorable terms, and they're quite highly levered at the moment. The range is between 9 and 17 times for the names we looked at, which of course reduces flexibility to some extent. The risk of losing the investment grade status is also a concern for many, with the ratings at the very edge in the low B range, which of course would have consequences for funding in the future. And what options do landlords have to preserve cash and liquidity through the crisis? Those with least options are of course those with large near-term maturities, most notably maybe British Into, which has more than a billion pounds of debt maturing in the next 18 months or so. They're obviously under pressure to find solution to address these. Absent debt maturities, liquidity in the businesses is generally adequate with large committed RCFs available. To boost liquidity further, there are quite a few cash-preserving measures available, such as managing capex, because the programs are typically quite flexible, and a large part of capex is often property acquisitions, where there is likely little activity in the near term. The flip side of this is that those landlords who were relying on asset disposals to boost their balance sheets and improve liquidity will find this harder in the current environment and will have to seek other options. One important buffer is the amount of unencumbered assets. Because availability of funding in the past years was so good for these companies, most of them have managed to issue their debt on an unsecured basis. This leaves majority of their portfolios unencumbered and the option available to pledge as security for new debt if needed and of course if LTV covenants allow. The ability to cut dividend distributions is an interesting topic, as the REIT status requires significant dividend distributions to be made in order to be exempt from certain important taxes, such as those on rental income and gains on property sales. The specifications vary across countries, and so will likely the authorities' treatment of this in the crisis. There might be relaxation of the dividend requirement with the expectation that this will in turn help struggling tenants, which is what we saw with French Mercialis, which was asked by the authorities to reduce its dividend in order to preserve cash for stakeholders within the business. However, the reduced dividend was still within the REIT requirement. And beyond these uh, debt maturities, what are the key cash outlays that will absorb liquidity in the near term? So the significant amount of debt means significant cash interest costs, even if the rates secured in the past years are low. These are the primary cash outlay and interest coverage will be the primary metric followed in the next months, especially as the valuation impact is expected to occur with a slight lag as it depends more on the sustained implications of this pandemic. Working capital has historically been a very minor driver of real estate companies' cash flow, but this might be different for this year as rent deferrals and delays in rent collections can tie in significant working capital with a related cash outflow. However, rents are typically paid in advance and landlords have now moved from quarterly to monthly collection in many countries as a first response to to the crisis. So the working capital impact is likely to enter the picture if rent deferrals become significant in terms of timing and magnitude. Thanks, Carolina. Now, let's consider the judgment handed down by Justice Snowden in respect of Italian restaurant Carluccio's. Carluccio's entered administration in late late March after the forced closure of its restaurants due to the COVID-19 pandemic. FRP advisory had been appointed as joint administrator. Now, the government's scheme had provided little guidance as to how it was intended to operate consistently with the UK's insolvency legislation. The judge, Justice Snowden commented that the court should work constructively together with the insolvency profession to implement the government's unprecedented response. The judgment, a first instance decision, provided the administrators of Carluccio's with a method for the treatment of employees who are placed on furlough and guides whether those employees' contracts are adapted by the administrators.
the judge noted that this decision could not in fact bind either the government or the employees of Colleges, and that further government guidance or legislation would be required. We await further guidance from the government on the matter. The issue addressed is whether the scheme was available to a company in administration and how a certain variation letter, which had been sent to employees by the administrators of Carluccio's, affected the rights of the employees. The variation letter placed employees on furlough, announced the intention to apply for the scheme and further provided that the employees would only be paid when the company received government money, money from the government. Now, the effects of the variation letter on the rights of the employees depended on whether they consented to the letter, objected to the letter or did not respond to the letter. Consented employees, now, the, in, in respect of consenting employees, these employees did have their employment contracts amended, and their employment contracts were adopted by the administrators once certain steps were taken. In respect of objecting employees, these employees do not have their employment contracts terminated, and these contracts were not adopted by the administrators. Now, with respect to non-responding employees, these employees would not have their employment contracts terminated, and they would not be adopted by the administrators. In each case, unless the employees have subsequently accepted the variation letter prior to a termination of their employment contract. It was further held that before the adoption of the contracts by the administrator, all claims by employees under pre-appointment employment contracts were unsecured provable debts. There was no duty on an administrator to apply for a grant under the scheme unless and until the relevant contract of employment was varied, and contracts of employment would not be adopted by administrators merely by virtue of not terminating the contract of employment of a particular employee. Given the increasing numbers of administrations being entered into, the issue is going to arise much more frequently until the government provides detailed legislation on the issue. The administrator of Debenhams also applied to the court for guidance yesterday on a similar topic. That's it from us this week. We'll be back in two weeks. 